Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Jack and Joe Show. We talk about property, business, and everything in between. Hosted by Jack Heskin-Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors, and our journey to health, wealth, and happiness. Welcome to another episode of the Jack and Joe Show with me, Jack Heskin-Taylor. Me, Joe McCarthy. Today we are here with the famous TED Talks. Hello, hello, lads. How you doing? You all right? Yeah. <laughs> Great, Ted. How are you? Um, I woke up a bit late today, which um, <laughs> so yeah. I apologise firstly for delaying this. Uh, yeah, it's like it's a weird period in time, isn't it? Where like I don't know, you kind of don't have to get up early, so I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, no, we understand. How how are you? How are things going in this uh, the current market? Any worries? Uh, so yeah, just so everyone listening. COVID nineteen pandemic outbreak up ensuing apocalypse. Uh, I. I'm I'm concerned about the level of high quality pasta in, in my cupboard, which is <laughs> which is probably the biggest worry. I think um, no, I think the most important thing right now is that I've, I'm fortunate enough and I'm, I guess blessed enough that I've kept a cash reserve, so I can afford to sort of keep paying my bridges. Although we, you know, I have negotiated some payment holidays if I need them. Uh, tenants have been okay. I think a lot of their jobs are like with animals or some of them, or one of them is like a care home manager. So. They're generally okay. I've got like four houses on the market to let, which no humans are leaving the house. So they're just sitting there, you know, paying interest on. And then I've got a few in refurb. And obviously the builders are like, look, Ted, there's one or two of us in each house. We're following the rules. As the government said, we're happy to crack on. And I said, look, lads, it's your health. I support whatever decision you want to make. So if you need to stop, then stop. But you know, it's up to you. But as you know, builders are like, nah, nah, nah we're, we're, we're working. So, Things are, I think the mentally it's quite difficult because you're kind of like, oh, this is totally new. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've lived through a recession, but I don't know how old I would have been. Like, no, 13 years ago, I would have been very young. I would have had no clue. So, yeah, I mean, the main worry, I think, is like, what? how do we come out of it? And like, you know, what do we... Like, like what will happen when we come out of it? You know, what are the end values going to be? What are, what's happening with the market? I think that's the kind of worry, but I'm not worrying about it because like, it'll just like, destroy my mind. Yeah. 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 Um, if possible, Ted, we'd, we'd love to sort of go 
into Ted's talks a bit more personally and go to your background and, and, and where it all started. I think I may have heard your story before, um, but I'd love to show all of our listeners you know, where you come from and, and how you got started, really. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, so I went to university. I studied biochemistry at King's College London. So, you know, happy days. Everything was kind of going well. I still love science, don't get me wrong. I did that. And then left, you know, studied abroad in America, great fun, came back, graduated, all good, got two, one, blah, blah, blah. Got a job in like pharmaceuticals, which took about 40 interviews to get, right? Like the job market then was crazy. Like, yeah, I can't imagine what it's like now. And then um, I had a job which was, you know, great company, great stuff. But what I noticed was like, I don't know if this is every job. I think it is most jobs, but like you're paid until 5 p.m., yeah, 9 to 5. But everyone was in the office till 6 and I kind of said to my boss naively, so does this mean we get paid like for the extra hour? And he was like, oh, my boy, no. <laughs> this is literally how he spoke. And I was like, oh, but you leave at five every day, bro. Um, so that was my first like sort of kick when I was like, okay, why is everyone doing this? Because they love their job or they love their, I was like, nah, dead this. So I left there, got a pay rise, like a 40% pay rise, went to another place. The culture there was crap. I didn't like it. Um, And then I basically got fired. Uh, So I I then, you know, felt really liberated, which is very weird, right? Like you should, as a 22-year-old who spent 40 interviews to get a job, be like, oops, I've totally messed this up. Like, how am I going to get another job? What's my reference going to say? But I felt so liberated uh, and I stopped believing in pharmaceuticals because I'm unethical, et cetera. So I started up a really ethical business of recruitment. <laughs> so I did that for three and a half years. With, someone called it golden handcuffs. I was making money, but I really didn't enjoy it. So did that for a while, got really lonely, got, did the whole self-employed thing, being the accountant, the manager, the blah, blah, blah. I then got into property full time, which would have been about eight months ago maybe maybe nine um and the second i got into property full-time made a huge huge difference to my productivity and my output before that i spent you know probably six months getting to know people recording podcasts networking educating reading books pretending i was doing property when who knows what i was actually doing um but that period of time allowed me to then have such a quick well, I guess rocket ship type eight months. How did the, the podcast come about? What was the, you know, when did that get started? How did you feel starting that as well? Me and Joe struggle sometimes to be consistent with the podcast and make sure, you know, we're getting enough people on. You know, it, it, it can be difficult trying to fit it in. How have you found that? Uh, good question. I think I always get asked, like, you know, that, like, how do you balance things? And I think the question is, I don't. I think, like, I guess, I guess what I mean by that is like, I don't have a strict, okay, this is a percentage of my time for this. This is a percentage of my time for this. If I'm on site visiting properties for three days, like in my investment area, then I'm not recording podcasts. I'm not doing much admin. I'm kind of like viewing stuff. I'm offering on it. I'm I'm in the zone physically and mentally. But then the week after when I'm at home for five days, I'm doing lots of podcasting, lots of branding, lots of stuff. So for me, it, it changes and varies with my, like physical location and I guess my business location, you know, if I've got lots of things in conveyancing, I'm chasing investment, then that's what I'm doing that week or that day. So I think 
prioritizing it based on and it sounds a bit sort of blunt i guess but prioritizing it on what is income generating which yeah isn't always the most fun like i'd much rather do podcast than you know like have to talk about leasehold extensions and all this stuff as mm-hmm. interesting as it is I know what I'd rather be doing, but I think you have to tell yourself, look, you have to do certain things in order to achieve certain things and you're not going to enjoy them all. So just, um, yeah, prioritize really, you know, things that are low priority get done last. Yeah, definitely. That makes big sense. Um, So like given the kind of current climate with COVID-19 and everything, um, everyone's kind of set at home. Is there any kind of day-to-day tasks that you're doing kind of more of right now than, than you would have when you're out doing viewings and everything? Uh, I guess because I've been adjusting to, you know, certain bridging lenders not loaning, me having to find 38 grand for a deal, you know, me thinking what's happening with the business, to having to be on the phone to mortgage companies for hours and no one picks up, try and get some holiday breaks, uh, mm-hmm. and to try kind of just put a little plan in place to just and mathematically work out, right, how many months do I have, you know, that I can survive, et cetera, et cetera it's kind of been that really for the past few days but i think tasks that i'm probably going to do more of is more blog writing uh more more social media i know people think i do a lot but there'll be more of it uh i'm, I'm bookkeeping once i can finish fighting with quickbooks for not importing my data uh, so i guess yeah admin tasks like the bookkeeping to be honest i don't think there's anything I'll probably do more Zoom calls, more like video calls with people and investors. Like, But there's not much more that's going to increase, I don't think. I guess we're having to be very responsive to like the news and financial news and things like that as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But one thing I wanted to ask, Ted, just, I just didn't ask it then. Um, when, when you set up the recruitment company, but how, how did you find that? Like I've set up businesses in the past as well and tried to do everything in the business and and sort of like been a bit of a busy idiot um as some people would say how did you find that did you make a lot of money did you really struggle did you learn a lot what how was it for you i think did i make a lot of money i can't remember i think that i mean the, <laughs> the, pro, the profit doubled every year for three years i could have made a quid the first year right so it, it doesn't really mean much but i made enough to pay myself and like you know be be comfortable and chilling i live at home so obviously there's different levels of chilling uh i had enough that allowed me to you know buy my first one two properties and still have a cash reserve yeah uh the most important thing for me is that it made me so thick-skinned and so like resilient to rejection and kind of like solution focused not problem focused that you know i'm so grateful for that element more so than the money um I think setting it up was, you know, being a busy idiot. I've definitely done that. I wasn't even busy. I was just an idiot. Like I was just sat <laughs> at my desk and I don't know what I did for seven hours. Like it wasn't much, but then I was like, Oh, there's no, there's no output from today. What have I done? So, yeah. and that's what happens when you work from home. You don't go out, you don't see enough people. You've just become a bit of a recluse. I think for me, the doing everything wasn't difficult in this instance because recruitment is so, sorry to say it's so simple and transactional it can be like there was only you know the actual job was quite mechanical and it wasn't overly complex so because of that I had so much time to do all the other stuff anyway and again it was very I didn't have many outgoings I didn't have an office didn't have staff didn't have this it was it was 
quite straightforward. Recruitment can be a really straightforward business, you know, to make quite a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Can we kind of dive into um, your portfolio? Because you did, you did acquire quite a few properties in such a short period of time. And can you maybe t- tell the uh, listeners you know, what your strategy is and, and how you go about financing these deals? Sure. So, yeah, I have purchased, I just bought one last week, 15 properties in about eight months. Uh, yeah. So it's built the portfolio from zero to 1.3 million in eight months. And it's, you know, the cash flow is about three, three and a half when it's all let and when it's all out of refurb. And I think, firstly, I'd like to say that sounds really fantastic to everyone. And, you know, three and a half grand a month could retire a lot of people and you could go travel the world and do a Tim Ferriss and just wear baggy pants and be a hipster, right? (laughs) But, you know, those eight months have been incredibly, and they still are, stressful. Uh, I think buying lots of properties at once is, is good fun and it's possible. And, you know, why not? Like, why do it slowly if you can do it well fast? but it's very painful like mentally physically it will take its toll on you you'll learn a lot of lessons and you'll make mistakes and you'll use the wrong people the wrong builders the wrong x the wrong y so before i go into what my strategy is my strategy is painful firstly um <laughs> and it, it doesn't have to be you know what i mean like if, if you bought two houses every year you have no stress like i promise you you have, you have no stress like if you're doing it right so i buy what people call boring vanilla foundational buy to let. So nice two, three bed family homes, probably similar to what you know, you're looking at right now, what you're doing. Now these homes are usually let by, you know, a professional couple, a family. Often I get single parents actually with, with their kids in some of these houses. I usually buy them for anywhere from 28 to 80 grand. And they're always worth at least sort of, 40 to 50 more than what I bought them for. I leave in no money or I pull out some money or most of the time I probably leave in about three to 5,000 pounds uh, and they will net about 300 a month. So over a year, I look for a 50% return on cash employed. So what that means is the money I've left in after a refinance using the buy, refurbish, refinance model, how much money I make on that is my ROI. I mean, yield and stuff, I, I don't really look at because it doesn't matter to me what the purchase price is and what the rent is. It matters how much money am I leaving in? Like that's my investment and how much am I getting out? So that's how I look at deals and that's my strategy. And because they only make 300 quid a month, you know, I have to, I have to buy lots of them really to make something significant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely safer than uh, safe for like for the likes of uh, ourselves. Now we have a few rent to service accommodation units, and obviously the hospitality industry is really taking a hit right now, along with various other businesses. But I suppose the vanilla buy to lets they are a lot safer than than other strategies, aren't they? Yeah, and I think you know, of course, there's still the potential that tenants are like, "Hey, we want a holiday break, or we've lost our jobs." Absolutely, <laughs> but ignoring this you know, this COVID outbreak pandemic, generally speaking, I think buy to lets are the most passive and the most safe form of investment. They take ages to, you know, build up a significant cash flow and, and you know, they you know, you gotta think you've got to buy one house just to get you know two fifty, three hundred quid a month. It's it's painful when your mates getting a grand a month from an HMO, right? Mm-hmm. But 
I think for the long term and for the most passivity and hands off, like and to survive, you know, situations where like rent to rents or service accommodations are not like full. I just don't, like, you can't beat them. I don't think. Mm, yeah, definitely. It's the, um, it's the simplest strategy, but it's, it's the, it's the best, isn't it? It's definitely, definitely something me and Joe are going to try and build up mainly in our portfolio as we, as we do deals, single lets. You think, um, not that you can't go wrong, but it's a lot easier, especially when you're just starting out, isn't it? I understand HMOs and service accommodation. We, we've done service accommodation, but it's, it's, um, it's so hands-on. It's, um, mm. we, we, I don't know why we were sort of sold the dream and thought it was going to be, you know, dead passive and get the cleaners <laughs> in. They'll do this. They'll change that, you know, handyman this. But when you're just starting out, you can't afford, you want, you know, any profit that you're getting in, you want to sort of try and, try and save as much as possible and trying to trying to get as much money out of your deals but single lets you know if you can get between 200 and 300 pound net a month how many have you got now did you say and what, what's the rent roll so there's 15 in total but three are flipped so i've got 12 by to let the rent is different for every house but it's between 450 to 650 yeah so the rent roll is when they're all let and out of refurb but probably looking at i probably about 50 to 60 grand um but that's that's irrelevant that's like turnover the profit yeah. will be three point three thousand three hundred to three thousand five hundred a month so over the year we're looking at 37 ish grand kind of profit before tax yeah what was the reason behind doing the flips as well as doing the, the buy refurbish refinance sure so uh, as i said before i leave in five grand on most houses now yeah where the hell am I getting this five grand from? Which is yeah. which is a common question, right? It's like if I don't have a no money left in deal, who pays the money left in? There's a few ways, you know, such as saying to your investor from the start, look, we're gonna leave in this much, I'll pay you off with the rent, or we're gonna leave in this much. Are you happy to leave it in as like a little investment? And then, you know, we'll we'll sort of, you know, I'll pay you back on it or something like that. Uh so that's one of the ways. But the way I do it is I I flip properties not for my own profit because hey that would be great um you know i could afford to buy some new clothes but i do it purely to generate cash to cover these holes these gaps where there's money left in so if you loan me 40 grand and i've done a deal blah 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 buy refurbish refinance and i've pulled out 35 i owe you you know five grand plus your interest i'll flip a property for 10 15 20 grand profit and then with that cash you know from the flip it goes straight into your pocket and it, it covers the gap essentially. So for me, yeah. that's why I flip. I also, I mean, th that's the main reason, uh, you know, if, if that didn't exist, I would flip just to kind of get some nice chunky cash. And also I do love refurbs and interior design. So if I can spend more money on that and make it even higher end, I I'm going to do that. Yeah. Okay. So the flip sort of, did they sort of go hand in hand with the buy refurbish finance and you have to leave money in? Yeah, they, they support it basically through leaving the money in. Yeah. I just want to talk about some more like other stuff that you do outside of your property investing. So it seems like you spend a lot of time on, on your branding. Um, did, did you have some sort of experience behind that or was that just, just doing your own sort of thing and just learning as, as you went? Good question. People always ask me this and I always struggle to answer because I, I kind of think like, Hmm. Like what? 
you know, like, where did I learn this? And I think being in recruitment where 90% of recruiters say the same crap. Hi, I'm looking for this person. Hi, I've just come back from a great meeting. I'm looking for a developer. Like it's so crap and boring. I just thought, yeah, let me write something a little bit different. Like let's just put some personality in it, put some sauce in it. And so I did that in recruitment and I kept, you know, sort of uh, like just doing this and it worked well. It got me business. It made me stand out. And I thought this is interesting. Not really knowing it was like a brand, although I did love creating the logo and creating designs and stuff. Did then recruitment for a while. And then in property, I, I honestly don't know. Like I don't remember reading a book or reading a blog or watching a video and being like, right, time to start a brand. I, I don't know what, there, there would have been something or someone who just kind of lit that fire underneath me, but it, it wasn't strong enough that I remember it. So I think it just came from recruitment, basically, of just watching peop, people be bad and just say, let's do something different. And then just learning and discovering different tools and then just realizing that, hey, this is this is something that we should all have. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Nice. So, the the TED Talk brand. Uh, I, th- I love the brand. Then it's it's obviously stands out. It's very noticeable as well, and the yellow T-shirt as well. Um, <laughs> I think when do we first? I think we. Oh yeah, we we met you when we come down. We had Nando's, didn't we? We went to PBN Knightsbridge. <laughs> how, how did yeah. PBN Knightsbridge come about? How did how did that start? So I I go to a few. Well, I go to a few networking events now. I'm a bit lazier, but I did, and I really liked this this like ppn hosted by pippa back like back then because uh it was i don't know i just it was just it was just different it was a bit like fancier which i quite liked even though i'm I'm not fancy with my like trainers and my t-shirt on uh it was the vibe was different there was no sales there was no upselling it was just like a, a networking event and then i messaged her once or twice like hey i really love your event the vibe was really good thanks for having me and i think a few months later she messaged me saying hey tedge you know You've got a great brand. I've got this event. You know, do you want to? Do you want to just like do it together? And I was like, yeah, why not? And so <laughs> it was as simple as that. Now, so me and Pippa co-host it every second Tuesday of the month. Yeah, yeah, we'd love to come down more, wouldn't we, Joe? How many times have we go? Twice. Mm. Twice. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that you've got to stay for the networking, haven't you? So if we come down, we have to stay over. We don't want to be rush off at nine o'clock to get the last train back. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. You know, we appreciate you coming from so far. We have, we do have a few people who come from like up north quite far, and it's like, wow, that says yeah. a lot to us, right? About how how much they enjoy it, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Okay, okay, great. That's been that's been great, Ted. I think what what we'd like to do is do a second episode and sort of deep dive into the buy refurbish refinance and, and your flips and stuff and maybe go into some more details and um, but we'll probably wrap this one up there uh, but thanks very much for, for going into your journey and um look forward to speaking again yeah cheers Ted. amazing thanks for having me cheers, Ted. Cheers. see ya bye, bye. We talk about property, business, and everything in between. Hosted by Jack Heskin-Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors, and our journey to health, wealth, and happiness. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> 